Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. I'm reminded once again tonight, he won't fail because he can't fail. Aren't you glad? Amen. I'm so thankful that my hope is in Jesus. Tonight, if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to join me in the gospel according to Luke and chapter number 12, Luke chapter 12. Anybody get a nap today? Good. I hope you won't get one tonight, okay? I hope you I hope you got one this afternoon, and I hope you broke it up, got a little coffee in after you had that nap so that you don't doze off on me tonight. The message tonight is going to be the opposite of what we heard this morning. And so this morning, we talk about uh, an all-in faith. Y'all remember that? All-in faith is... Does anybody remember how we finished that statement? Blessed by God. All in faith. Now, we talked about all in meaning everything. All my life, everything is in. I've turned it all over to Jesus. An all in kind of faith is blessed by God. Well, tonight we're going to look at the opposite of that, and that is the title of the message is The Faith That Is Condemned. There is a kind of faith that is, in fact, condemned. You say, now, wait a minute. If I have mustard seed faith in the Lord, isn't that good? Yes, it is. That's not the kind of faith that's condemned. But before tonight's over, I pray that you will know exactly what the kind of faith is that God condemns and and how it will leave you and I uh, empty and punished, if you will. Uh, And so tonight, let's dive in Luke chapter number 12. I want to say this. It's a common kind of faith. It's a faith that even after I have come to Jesus, I have a tendency to lean back on. And the faith, if I was to just sum it all up tonight, instead of an all-in faith, tonight we're going to talk about an all-me faith. And so uh, let's dive into the text without any further ado. I want to invite you, if you would, to stand to your feet in honor of reading the word of the living God. Now, I want you just to pause for a moment as you stand and realize that you hold in your hand the Theonoustos, which is the very breath of God. I want you to look at it. Put your eyes on it. Look down at your copy. I'm going to wait for you to look down and not look up. Look down and not look up. I'm looking. Everybody's still looking at me. I'm going to hold on. You just look down at your copy of God's Word, holding it in your hand, and I want you just to look at it for a minute, and I want you to ponder it, and I want you to think about the number of thousands of years that God preserved this text and put it down into English so that you and I can read this thing on the daily. I want you to think about the men whose lives were burned at the stake, burned alive for translating it into the English that you and I speak. I want you to consider for just a minute how those Qumran caves, how how God had those monks to put those scrolls in particular jars, and how through all of the weathering that took place or should have taken place, God preserved those Dead Sea Scrolls so that you and I would know what we hold in our hand is, in fact, the Theonusus, the very, here's what it means, the very breath of God. Now, I want you to ponder for a moment the breath of God. Stay with me just a second. The breath of God. What do we know about the breath of God? Well, we know that in the beginning, there was a big bang. You you, you all know I'm a big bang theory guy, right? How many of you know tonight that I'm a big bang theory guy? Raise your hand. See, you all know me. I'm a big bang theory. The big bang of God's voice, right? And so you hear me say that all the time. So God breathed out by his voice, galaxies. And, And we're learning through more technology that they're a whole lot more vast than we ever imagined. And he breathed that out. But then, but then let's take it down to a little more, more intricate design of the human body. And God took from the dust of the earth, and he fashioned with his own hands the, the man, right, Adam. And then the Scripture says that he, you remember what he did to make him alive? <sighs> the breath of God caused Adam to be a living being, put a soul in his body. 
And now Paul said to Timothy that you are this, every, the, the scripture is uh, breathed out by God and it's profitable for all type of things. So just think for a minute about the reason you're standing, not just standing because the preacher said stand is what we do, but you're standing in honor of what you're holding in your hand, the very breath of God. Aren't you thankful for it tonight? Amen. Don't ever take it for granted, and we thank God for it. Okay, I'm sorry. I just well, no, I'm not sorry. That welled up in me, and I wanted to share it with you. <clears throat> now, Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse number 13. Luke's gospel, written to a young man named Theophilus. We've sort of divvied in and out of uh, Luke a little bit here lately. And remember, the occasion was that uh, Luke wanted Theophilus to know in a very orderly account everything that he heard about Jesus and learned about Jesus was absolutely supported in truth by his life, his teachings, his death, and his resurrection. That's the purpose of the gospel according to Luke, all right? <clears throat> now, as we're reading it today, pick up in verse number 13, and Jesus has just talked about the fact of, that we are to confess him before men, that if that we're not to be ashamed of him in front of people. In other words, living for Jesus out loud. Uh, if we were to take this morning's message and bring it into what Jesus was saying, he's saying our all in faith ought to be observable, okay? And we ought to connect our all in faith with a confession. What is a confession? A statement. And the statement is, Jesus is Lord. And your coworkers ought to know it, your family ought to know it, uh, that he is the confession of your faith. And it ought to be observable, not just in your words, but in your deeds. But then he picks up and he begins to tell a story, okay? And he tells a parable, which is an earthly story that has heavenly meaning, okay? So let's dive into this parable that Jesus teaches in 13, verse 13 to verse 21. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take heed, beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns, and I'll build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods." And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will these, those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Will you bow with me? I just want to stop right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and thank God that on a Sunday night on the weekend after Thanksgiving, that there are this many people who came out and are in the room. You, didn't, you could have stayed at home. It would have been real easy to watch online, take a break, sort of chill, and you chose to come out and be a part of what God's doing. There's nothing like being in the room, right, when God's moving. So thank you for being here. I'm going to thank God for you. God, thank you for these people. I'm continually amazed. Lord, over the years, thinking back to times, we had nowhere near this many in Sunday morning worship. And now on Sunday night, on the weekend after Thanksgiving, God, you have this amount of people. I'm amazed by you, God. Please continue to work in our hearts and lives. <clears throat> now, Lord, as we've come to this hour of preaching, uh, Father, would you help me with this most impossible assignment? Unless your spirit does it, uh, it won't be done. So tonight, uh, Father, because I am less than ordinary and I have no eloquence of man, uh, I believe makes me a prime candidate for you to put on display that you can use anybody, anywhere, at any time. So by the gift of your spirit and the gift of preaching, tonight, make this text come alive and be clear and like an arrow shot from your bow. Let it penetrate my heart. Let it hit the mark of all of our hearts. Not to beat us up, but to lift us up. Not to condemn us, but to call us up and encourage us. And so tonight, I praise you do that. Lord, you'd also preach to me. 
and preach to every man, woman, boy, and girl who is both in the room and outside of the room, those who are at home, those that are traveling home tonight as they're listening and tuning in with us. I thank you for the media ministry and the many testimonies I've gotten just today of people who are at home with the flu and sick, and they're able to worship with us together. And so, Father, I pray for those who are outside the country. I pray for those, Lord, who later on will tune into a podcast, and while they're doing other things, I pray your spirit would sit heavy on them and tune their ears and our ears in to hear your voice. Teach us, shape us, mold us tonight. We ask it in the wonderful name of Jesus and the people of God agreed. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So tonight, as we have liberty to do, we're going to rewind back to the beginning here, verse number 13, and just sort of walk through a message entitled, The Faith That Is Condemned. You're going to see it's going to really be the opposite of this morning, right? It's going to make good sense to you, and I pray that we'll have proven this morning's message again, this morning from the positive, tonight from the negative. Does that make sense? You can prove it. Did you know you can prove a point, uh, a truth from the positive and the negative sense? It's like someone saying, flipping over the coin. This is the other side of the coin, okay? Uh, But it will mean the same thing in essence, but it will prove it from the negative sense. So here we go. The main idea of tonight's message, this morning was all in faith is blessed by God. Tonight is all me faith is condemned by God. All me faith. I said that there's a kind of faith that's condemned. What is that faith? Is the faith in me. It's when I trust me. It's when I'm my boss. It's when I'm leaning on my resources and my abilities and my way to make me right with God, to make life good, to provide for myself. Anybody tracking with me? It is the sin that separates us from God. It's not all the little, I shouldn't say little sins, but all the symptoms of the main sin of me being on the throne of my life. All those little symptoms are different variables of sin, right? But the major sin that leads all of that is when I'm the one who's in control of my life. It's when Terry's Lord or when you're Lord. And by the way, you're born that way. Do you know that? And you've got to be born again not to be that way. Anybody with me tonight? You're born that way, uh, Lord of your own life, but you've got to be born again for Jesus to be Lord of your life, okay? So here we go. All me faith is, y'all help me, condemned by God. So today we've got a choice to make at the end of the day. Do we want the kind of faith that is blessed by God, right? As we saw in the man, who was his name this morning? Anybody remember? Come on, you had a nap. What was it? Abraham, right? Abraham, and his willingness to give up his only son named Isaac. Tonight, we're going to look at the opposite of a man who's not willing to give up anything because he's his own own Lord, okay? So here we go. Roman number one in your notes here, and they're going to be, I don't know, four of these tonight. Four of these. Number one, all pointing back to all me faith is condemned by God. Number one, all me faith, and they're going to start some the same way, all me faith keeps us at odds with each other or with others, okay? Uh, Write that down, I'll explain it. In other words, if my faith and everything is in me and my abilities and what I have, here's the thing. If all me is my faith and where my faith resides, then I'm going to need a lot of resources in order to meet my needs. Does that make sense? If I don't look to God to meet my needs, then I'm going to need a great pile of resources to meet my needs because, well, life is full of need. And so let me just sort of prove this to you if I could, all right? Look with me in verse number 13. And by the way, it's not just want-tos for needs. It's want-tos for the sake of want-to. Wouldn't you agree with that? Our flesh has a nature not just to want the things we need to pay the light bill, but we want things to make life more pleasurable, safe, and comfortable, right? <clears throat> things that have bells and whistles, things that shoot, things that ride, things that all kind of entertain. By the way, you know we love to be entertained. We love to be entertained. All right, so let's just read verse number 13. Then one from the crowd said to Jesus. Now, out of the crowd, Jesus has just talked about confessing him in front of men. 
and what that means to confess him before men. And, and if you deny him before men, that he'll deny us before the angels of God. And as he's saying that, somebody from the crowd says to him, in the middle of a very uh, eternal spiritual conversation, y'all tracking with me? He, he's saying that if you deny me, I'll deny you. If, you, if you're not, if you're willing to accept me and be unashamed of me, then I'll be the same about you. And he's talking about a great eternal truth. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about authentic faith. And then somebody in the crowd says, hey, Jesus, now, you'd expect someone to say, how do I, how can I receive that eternal life? Or, Jesus, explain to me what that looks like, that I would not be ashamed of you. Tell me what you mean. Give me some details. Teach me. But, but no, somebody in the crowd says, and by the way, there's always somebody in the crowd, isn't there? There's always that one. <clears throat> then one from the crowd said to Jesus, nothing to do with the eternal salvation, nothing to do with what it means to really deny him or to, or to accept him before men. But the question goes like this. Teacher, and by the way, there's not a question mark. Notice it's a statement. Now, we see from uh, just the punctuation that the guy's attitude is wrong, right? What, what do you mean? Well, because he feels like he's equal with Jesus. He's not asking him. He's not coming with humility. He is instead telling him. You ever find yourself there? Be careful. Be careful about telling him what you, what you desire and what you want him to do. And it'd be good for us to begin to add. Hey, here's, here's something you and I don't practice a lot that we should. Begin to add this word to your prayer life. Lord, please. If it be in your will, Lord, please. Lord, would you? Would you? All right? <clears throat> so listen to what he says. Instead, he's talking to Jesus, and he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Uh, there's uh, something in this man that wants more. He wants some of this inheritance. He wants some money, some possession, some land. And deep down, he wants it. Why? Because he's looking to himself to meet his own need. And if he's going to meet his own needs in his mind, he's going to need a whole lot of stuff, and he also wants a whole lot of stuff. And so he addresses Jesus as a common person, someone his equal, uh, uh, by the way that he states and doesn't ask. And he says, teacher, do this, do this, and do it now. I need you to settle this issue with my brother. I need my inheritance. Tell him, give me my inheritance. And so what I want you to understand tonight about this all-me faith, it's going to always keep me and you at odds with others. Why? Because we're going to want what other people have. We'll feel like we have to have more of what this world offers because, well, the more we pile up, the more we store away, the more we save, the more we build, or the more land we have, the more stuff we have. Uh, if it's not centered in a, the glory of God and the will of God, what will happen is it will continue to feed the emptiness that we're born with. This man obviously had not been born again, and so the empty void that was there, and he's trying to fill with more possessions, more stuff. Now, Jesus is going to take this teaching time in a moment and give him a parable. I love how Jesus did that, by the way. He'd oftentimes, and by the way, did it on the fly. He didn't have to go somewhere and have, he never had writer's block. He never had to go to a cabin somewhere and just say, now, what am I, now, this guy said this, what am I going to do in the next situation? He just spent time in solitude and prayer with the Father and was so in tune because he was God, he could just right there tell a parable that would address the situation. Isn't that beautiful? And that never miss the qualities of Jesus that we see in the Word of God. Okay, so going back to the text, he says, he says, Divide the inheritance. Do you tell my brother to divide the inheritance? What can, we, what, what can we discern from verse number 13? That the brothers have been at odds with one another. And they've not been able to settle the dispute. You see, what I want you to understand is when the faith is all about me, when my faith is in me and my resource and I'm the king of my own life, I'll always be at odds with other people because I'll never celebrate people's victories. I only want victory for myself. I'll never celebrate the benefit and the blessing of God in other people's lives because I want it for myself. I'll never celebrate when people accomplish and do and God does things in their life because I'll always want more for myself. 
So, and all me kind of faith keeps us at odds with others. Let's read a little further along. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge and arbitrator over you? <clears throat> Here's what Jesus is saying. I didn't come to deal with the petty issues of this life. I didn't come focused on the money and how much money you have. I came to eternally save you and uh, buy you with my own blood. So, so listen to what he says in verse 15. So Jesus says to him, take heed, take this warning. Be careful to beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist of the abundance of the things he possesses. All me faith says, the more I have, the more I am. Let me say that to you again. All me faith says, the more I have, the more I am. And this culture promotes it. The more you have in the eyes of common people, those maybe that don't know Jesus, don't know the, the principles of the kingdom, and some that claim they do. If people have more, they consider them to be more important. I could tell you stories years ago when someone ran up to me uh, when we were still at South Campus and said, oh, oh, did you know so-and-so's here? And I said, who? They said, so-and-so. I was like, that's awesome. I said, you know so-and-so's here? And they's like, who is that? And I was telling them a little about him. They said, well, yeah, but this guy, this guy's a millionaire. And I said, great, this guy is a soul winner. And we just sort of looked at each other. You know, we had an awkward moment there in the aisle, you know, and, and they just sort of went on because I was less than impressed that someone had a pile of what this life has to offer. Um, and so Jesus, listen, what Jesus is saying here is be careful because if you, your faith is all in you and your faith is all about you and your possessions, things, you'll always want what everybody else has. Uh, I'm, I'm always amazed at how self-centered that you and I can be sometimes in that when someone gets a promotion, somebody gets a raise, somebody kills a big deer, somebody gets a new gun, somebody's married, Somebody's single. Somebody has a child. Somebody, you fill in the blank. I'm often surprised at how our heart will turn sour rather than celebratory. You see, I believe this with all my heart. I believe that a New Testament follower of the Lord Jesus Christ ought to celebrate every achievement and victory in the life of those around him or her. We ought to cheer each other on. And when God does something good and a person receives something good, man, we ought to genuinely. By the way, if there's something inside of you that gets angry when you see something good happen to somebody else, you have to ask yourself a question. Who is it that promotes that attitude? And I'll tell you who it's not. It's not the Lord Jesus. And so tonight, all me faith keeps us at odds with others, all right? <clears throat> now, I'm going to move on. I'm going to give you a couple of questions that I, I put in my, in my uh, notes here, and I want to just share them with you, Okay. One statement I wrote down was this. When we are at our top priority, we want what other people have. Why did he get to kill that deer? I should have killed that deer. Why did he marry her? I should have married her. Why do they have kids? I should have been able to have kids. Why do, why do, why do? And it's covetousness. And it's sin. You know why it's sin before God? Because before God it is to say this. God, I really, uh, really appreciate my life and what I have, but I really want what he has. So no thank you for all the good things you've done in my life. Now you begin to understand the sin of covetousness. Uh, not appreciating a heart of gratitude for what God has done. And by the way, God has done good for every single one of us. I'll, I'll come back to that in just a minute. <clears throat> so, some questions that I put in, in my notes here are this, all right? Um, where is my focus? What's my focus for living? What do I focus on when I get up in the morning and go about my day? What, what am I focusing on? There's some questions. You might want to jot them down. Uh, these are going to take a little more time than we have to answer them. All right, here's another one. Uh, what am I striving for the most? What are you wrestling for? What are you putting energy in? What are you, what are you working hard for? And, and I want you to think about for just a minute the things that, and by the way, we do work hard for things. Y'all do know that about us. Uh, things that we want, <laughs> we work hard for. And I want to just sort of get you to think for just a minute about what's happening here. See, see this fella's 
questions exposed his priorities. Here he had in his very presence the son of the living God who has the answer to every question every, any human could ever answer and the solution to every problem and the power to heal and transcend and to ultimately, here's the greatest thing, save a soul, amen? And yet his question is, I want some of this money that me and my brother have been arguing about. And so his questioning, see, it exposes the priority of his life. So, so I just want to, just as, by the way, we talked about priorities a little bit this morning, didn't we? You see, all me faith keeps us at odds with others. Here's another question I put in my notes. <clears throat> what do, and I want you to write it in yours, what do I want my life to accomplish? What do you want your life to accomplish? If I was to come and just sit down by you, Bubba Knight, and I said to you, what, you, what do you want your life to accomplish before your time's up? You know, just something to think about. What do you want your life to accomplish? I want you to jot that down and wrestle with that. Now, you may not know it right away. Maybe something you need to wrestle with. But let me say this to you. Uh, if you don't know right away what it is and what it should be, there's a situation. At the least, you need to draw near unto Jesus because his word says what our life should accomplish. Okay? But at the, at the worst, you may be lost and separated from God and never been given a new spirit and a new heart. And there's good news. It's not too late for you. So, walking through this text, okay, what do I want my life to accomplish? One more question, I'm going to move on. Y'all said, boy, you're all questions tonight. <clears throat> this just really provoked a lot of thought in my heart and my life, and I'm afraid sometimes I'm focused on the wrong things. I'm afraid, I'm afraid that sometimes what I want my life to accomplish, I lose sight of that sometimes. Anybody say maybe you lose sight of that sometimes? And so, what do I want my life to accomplish? And here's the last question, I'm going to move on. Am I pursuing the kingdom of God the way I pursue more? More what? More Yes more whatever you want to fill in the blank with. That which we're chasing after, that we wish we had, you know? Am I pursuing the kingdom of God? Am I pursuing him and his righteousness with energy and effort and fervency and determination, discipline, zealousness that, that I'm eager to do it and go about doing it? Okay, moving on. Number one was all me faith keeps us at odds with others. Number two, write this in your notes. This is verse 16. Having more, now listen, this is something that's going to shock you. I know it's going to shock you. Write this down, all right? Verse number 16, Roman numeral two, having more does not equal being blessed. Amen. Now that's contrary to Western thinking. When I say that, I look at your faces and y'all are pondering that. Now wait a minute. Because the truth of the matter is, here in the West, we believe that when a person has a bunch, they are blessed. They have a big home, we say they are blessed. They have a nice car and drive a new one all the time, we say they're blessed. And so our way of thinking is, a blessing equals more. More equals blessing, right? But not necessarily. Okay? Now, let me, let me put your eyes on verse, or ask you to put your eyes on verse number 16. Here's what he says. <clears throat> so, by the way, Jesus summed that up by saying, listen, <laughs> your, 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 your life doesn't consist in, the, in how much stuff you have, in the amount of stuff, and the excess that you have. That's not where your life exists. That's not where the value of your life exists and where true life and abundant life is found. Verse number 16, then he spoke a parable. So now Jesus takes this opportunity to share a teaching time through a story. Here it is. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded, y'all help me, plentifully. Now, we, we have the advantage of knowing what the parable is. We've already read it, right? And what we know by the end of that is that this rich man did not know or love God. Y'all tracking with me? He had an not all in faith. He had an all me faith, all me faith. 
And so we know up front, well, we don't know up front, but we know because we read to the end, <clears throat> that the man in the story who is rich didn't know God, didn't love God. He wasn't an all-in kind of faith guy in the, Lord, in the Lord himself, but he was an all-me faith kind of guy, and it was all about him. And yet what we found out is that his ground still yielded plentifully. Now, some would say, if you ran into him in circles in town, you say, man, he's got more corn. Look at his corn. Boy, the Lord is really blessing him. And so his life must be blessed, and he must be in right favor with God, and, and he must be doing all the right things and walking close with God. And then if you're not careful, as you're riding by looking at his corn, you'll say, man, I, I need to figure out what I'm doing wrong. And it slips from that into coveting. Well, I wish I had the crop he has. So we have to be careful, don't we? I'm telling you, we can, we can move from an all-in kind of faith to an all-me kind of faith really easily, can't we? And so watch what he says here as we're reading this verse again. He says, he spoke a parable saying this, the ground of a certain rich man, a certain rich man who didn't love God, a certain rich man who didn't have a relationship with God, who was not concerned about other people, and yet his ground yielded plentifully. Let me give you a verse. Write this verse in your notes, Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 45. Here's what it says. That you may be, and I'm reading Matthew 5 and verse 45, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he, God, makes his son to rise. And by the way, without the son, we die. You with me? I wish you understand how critical the son is. Without the son, we die, okay? So the son makes the grass grow. Without the grass growing, the animals die, and we die right alongside him, right? We have to have the grass. And so listen, uh, he says, uh, he makes his son rise on the, oh, the evil and the good. So more doesn't necessarily mean blessed because God is gracious even to the lost soul in this life in this life okay now let me read the end of it and he sends rain on the just and also on the unjust and so in this life God is expressing and offering graciousness and mercy to those who believe and don't believe so it's not listen it's not a blessing attached to obedience it's just God taking care of creation and taking care of people and offering the opportunity for people to know him through his generosity okay now watch as this thing unfolds let me give you a couple of verses if I could from another passage without now here's the here's the danger I'm facing right now as a pastor preacher right now I don't want to preach Psalm 73 okay but I do want to give you a little highlight a little cliff notes from Psalm 73 because Psalm 73 is a psalm that deals with the blessing of the wicked or I might say this way when the wicked are prospering not necessarily blessed there's difference and the prosperity of the wicked do you ever look at people and you know they don't walk with God and they don't care a thing about God and, and they don't have any part of building the kingdom, they're not generous, and yet they have more stuff than you can shake a stick at? You know anybody like that? Or their business is thriving. They got more jobs than they know how to deal with. And, and you know, anybody know anybody like that? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. You see people sometimes, and man, they shake their fist in the face of God, and yet they have all the work they can do and all the money they can spend. I recently saw a place that I'm telling you, this home was a $4 million home. It was a home that this family visits twice a year. And they just had it built just to sit there and look nice and look pretty. And, and I thought to myself about how easy it is to have an abundance of stuff here, but you really not be blessed by God with the blessings you can't buy from the liquor store or from 84 Lumber. Anybody tracking with me? 
the kind of blessings that keep you at peace at night when you lie your head down, and the kind of peace that sustains you when someone you love dies, and you're facing hardship and uncertainty, the kind of joy that wells up even when you ought to be just sobbing in despair, and the blessing of God is much greater than more stuff. So let me give you a couple of cliff notes from Psalm 73. Y'all ready? Here we go. Write these two statements down from Psalm 73. Now, I'm going to give you the verses to go along with it <clears throat> so that you can go and read it later. And again, it's a calorie-free dessert right before you go to bed. Psalm 73, verses 17 to 20. Listen, here's a statement I want to make from those verses. Psalm 73, 17 through 20. The psalmist says in the first part of Psalm 73 that he's watching the prosperity of the wicked, and it's almost too much for him to watch. It's unsettling him. It's messing with his peace. And he's struggling with watching them do well when they're not walking with God or loving God. And what he was reminded of in Psalm 73, verses 17 through 20, is that as he goes to the sanctuary, he goes to the house of the Lord, he's reminded that judgment is certainly coming for the wicked. And so what the realization is for the psalmist is what Jesus said back in verse number 15. He comes to the conclusion that the abundance, the essence of somebody's life is not in the abundance of stuff they have. That's not the blessed life. The blessed life is the one who's going to escape judgment because of the free gift of eternal life found in Jesus Christ. I thought more of y'all was going to get fired up about that than that. I was waiting for a clap and a rap uh, overwhelm the room because that great truth is what changes everything. And so what happens in Psalm 73, uh, 17 to 20, is reminded that judgment's coming for the wicked. And man, what would you rather have? An abundance of stuff, all the toys you could play with, all the guns you could shoot, all the folders you could ride, all the homes you could tour, all the trips you'd like to go on and be headed right for hell, separated from God, lost and groping in darkness? No way. Psalm 73, verses 21 to 28. Let me give you another statement, right? Here's what the psalmist was reminded in the end, that, that God himself is our reward. So maybe you jot that down. What the psalmist realizes is that the presence of God and the guidance of God and God's counsel and God's words and God's correction are so much more valuable to him than if he had all the more that this world could offer him. What a great place for us to settle tonight, right? Having more does not equal being, y'all help me, blessed. Having more does not equal being blessed. Number three, all right? Number three. All me faith, write this in your notes. All right, this is back to Luke chapter 12. All me faith is, write this word down, limited. It's very limited, right? Limited. All me faith is limited. Luke 12, this is verses 17 to 19, all right? Put your eyes there with me. Y'all there, verse 17? Yes, all right. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? He's got more stuff. He's got more crops. He's got more harvest then he has room to store it. And so he has so much. Isn't it interesting, the perspective of those who don't know God and don't love God, it's more about saving that than giving that. It's more about keeping it for myself, for my future, and then giving and sowing seed into the lives of others in Jesus' name now. Now notice here, if you will, back at verse number 17, all right, just, just read with me. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? And so he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns. Now, that's going to take energy and time and effort, right, resource to tear the barns down. He's going to have to pay somebody. There's going to be time to do that. So he's going to spend more money tearing down what he has. Now, y'all read with me. And build, help me somebody, greater. And there I'll store all my crops 
and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have made, uh, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Have the golden years, right? Sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. Put it on cruise control because you've done so well. You've done so well. Now, there are three things I want to mention here in this all me faith being limited. Three ways it's limited. Number one, all me faith is limited by personal counsel. By personal counsel. Let me ask you a question. Who is it that counsels your actions? Who is it that you ask before you act? Who is it that you go before and say, what should I do? What should I say? How should I go about doing what I'm about to do? How can I find victory? What do I need to do in facing this struggle? Who is it? Well, for the man who didn't know God, the faith was in himself. He counseled his own self. Now, where do I see that? Look back with me, if you will, in verse number. Can you find it? Verse number 17. And rather than asking God or seeking God's provision and counsel for what he should do with all of this excess, verse 17, he only talks to who? Himself. Be careful that you're not the wise counselor of your life. Be careful that it is, in fact, a life of what should I do? How should I do? Where should I go? What should I say? A life of humility that says, you're the Lord and I'm not. And that's an all-in kind of faith. The all-me kind of faith says, I don't have to ask anybody. It's my crops. It only makes logical sense that I'd build a bigger barn. And all the blessing you and I, many of us have missed because we've operated based on all-me logic, faith in me and my own thinking, instead of counseling God and asking God to counsel me. Lord, when I say counsel God, you understand, I'm not talking about instructing God. I'm talking about receiving counsel from him. So, uh, we said all me faith is limited. Number one, it's limited by personal, y'all help me, counsel. Be careful. Be careful that you are seeking God in prayer in his word, uh, that you have other people in your life that you know love God and strive to walk with him and know his word and strive to live accordingly. And you counsel, you ask them for counsel in your life. So his, limited, his life is limited by personal counsel. This all me kind of faith, number two, is limited in focus. Now this is going to be the very next verse, verse 18. It's limited in focus, and the focus is personal possessions. That's all the all me faith thinks about. How much can I have? What can I have? Where can I have it? How much can I have? How much land can I have? How can I keep it for me? How can I more and more and more? Listen, listen to how it goes here. Verse number 18, okay? And so he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build, somebody help me, greater. And there I will store all my crops and my, it's mine. I worked for it. I paid for the fuel. I paid for the, I know they didn't have fuel back then. Stay with me. Y'all know sometimes I jump back and forth in culture, context, right? I'm the one who paid for the, these are my deer. It's my land, my crops. It's my house. And we live oftentimes from the precept of it's all me, and I'm trusting me, and I'm going my way, and I'm not going to counsel God with how he wants me to use it and spend it, and I'm just going to do it my way. All me faith. Listen, and remember, all, all in faith is blessed by God. All me faith is condemned by God. Now, let me move on. So, number one, we said it's limited by personal counsel. Number two, it's limited in focus to personal possessions. My, my, what can I have? How much can I have? How long can I have it? All right. Number three, everybody okay? It's awful quiet and weird in here tonight a little bit. All right. Number three, number three, but that's okay. That's all right because I need as much as you need it. And this isn't me preaching down to you. It's me and you looking at this text together because it applies to me just as much as it applies to you. So if anything, we find ourselves right now with a little bit of tension between the holiness and righteousness of God and our sinfulness. How do you know that preacher? Because I'm feeling it too. Because I'm feeling it too. 
is limited. Number three, uh, all me kind of faith is limited in achievement. And the achievement is all about personal goals. Personal goals. All right? It's limited in achievement to personal goals. Look in verse number 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for you many years. That's the goal, right? To, to, in our lives, then just hang on. Isn't that the goal? We want to just have as much as we can have and, and uh, go where we want to do and do what we want to do and tour the world and go travel and just, you know, and do all those kind of fun things that when we get to the kingdom of God, can you imagine? I heard an illustration recently about, can you imagine going before the king and said you spent your whole life saving for retirement so that you could go look at beaches and you had this collection of shells to show God? It's a silly thing about us, isn't it? That oftentimes we really are governed by our own desires. And so the same is happening to this man in Jesus' parable. I remember where this started. Somebody in the group said, Jesus is talking about eternal things. And somebody in the group said, I want more money. And me and my brother are at odds about it. I need you to settle it. And Jesus said, let me tell you a story. <laughs> let me tell you a story. See if you can get the point in it. If all your faith is in you and all your focus is on you, well, let me, let me, let me, I don't want to close too early, okay? Y'all, it's too early to close right there. So, it's limited. All me faith is limited in achievement to personal goals. It was all about what he wanted to do and how he wanted to do it. Let me say it this way. It's all wrapped up in comfort, safety, and pleasure. Here's the, here's the deal. The truth of the matter is this, okay, about me and you, about us. We really want easy living without any sacrifice, we really want easy living without having to say, I had to sacrifice time, I had to sacrifice. That's what we really want. I'm talking about me and you. That's what, deep down, that's our sinful nature. And boy, it takes a, a, a double dose of the Holy Ghost and a steady diet of the Word of God, doesn't it, uh, to ever find any victory over that desire. It really does. So let me move on if I can, all right? Finally to number four. Can y'all believe we've arrived at the end of this thing? Yeah, I'm looking at the clock. We're doing really good on time. Number four, all right, and finally, all me faith is insufficient payment for eternal redemption. Now write that somewhere. All me, not all in, all in means I'm looking to you. All me says I'm looking to me. All me faith is insufficient payment for eternal redemption. There was only one payment that satisfied the debt that we all owed. <clears throat> and that is a a place where a person can only be saved when they come to the conclusion, the poor in spirit, Jesus said, are blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? And the poor in spirit are the ones who realize that, you know what? By myself, I got nothing. By myself, I'm, I'm separated from God. By myself, I'm, 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 I'm in need of a Savior, right? And so let me just sort of conclude if I can. Look in verses 20 and 21 with me. <clears throat> and so he goes on to say, soul in verse 19, with, you have many goods, and you've laid up for many years. You've done really well. You've planned good. You've worked hard. And it's all yours. You've spent money. You've invested wisely. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him. And you say, preacher, where'd you get the condemnation part of this message? Right here. Right here in closing. All me faith is insufficient payment for eternal redemption. But God said to him. Now look at the title here. The word that Jesus chose as the Son, God the Son, is now referencing God the Father. And he says, but God said to him, the man, the, the rich man in the story, who had a faith in himself and his abilities and his resources, and he called him a word, he called him a name. <clears throat> and the name here is not used the same way that we use it, right? And I'll explain how it is used. But he called him, what's the word he used here? 
<clears throat> fool. Now, uh, you and I would determine a fool as a lot of different ways, wouldn't we? But scripturally, scripturally, the Bible says a fool is defined this way. A person who says in their heart there is no God. That's what the Bible says is a fool. So a fool says there is no God. I can live how, uh-oh. You see the parable now? The fool has an all-me faith. <clears throat> the fool says there's no God, and so I can do what I want to do when I want to do it, and I'll never have to pay for it. I'll never have to be accountable. I'll never have to answer for it. I'm just going to live life how I want to live it and enjoy all the resources of the world, and I'm going to, at the end of it, I'll, I'll just be gone. But that's not true at all, my friend. And Jesus said to this crowd, especially this one who said, Hey, I want more money in this life. I want, I'm not focused on that, you know, claiming you, Jesus, publicly, and all that stuff you're talking about. I just know I want more than what this life has to offer. My brother has it. Get it for me. And Jesus, I need you to understand that, that that kind of faith is insufficient funds. You can't, with that kind of lifestyle, with that kind of faith, and faith in you and faith in anything other than Jesus is insufficient for eternal redemption. You can't buy yourself back with that kind of living. So the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And wouldn't you agree with me that the man in the parable, so far the rich man, has definitely displayed that he believes there is no God. Maybe the God of his imagination. The God of his imagination who says, I'm going to pour out blessing on you, right? And in his mind, more equals blessing. And so God's been good to him, and he can do whatever he wants to do with it. Oh, let's see how this thing ends. So he says, fool, <clears throat> remember what I said, it's insufficient payment for eternal redemption. But fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Now, have you ever uh, understood the word required in relationship to a payment? When a payment is required for services due or for a product purchase, you know what I'm saying? When you get the thing or somebody does the service for you, then, then what is required at that time is payment, payment. And what God the Son is saying in this parable that God the Father is going to say to the person who has the all-me kind of faith that says, I'm going to live my life my way, do things my way, and I don't care about repercussions. I'm just going to have as much as I can have of this life until my time is up. <clears throat> he says, one of these days you're going to die. And you won't have enough in your bank account to pay for your redemption. Because there was only one payment valuable enough to redeem the souls of all mankind, and that is through the shed blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And anything else is an affront to God. So can you imagine? You say, well, then wait a minute. I'm, I'm not getting the picture here that, 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 that in this parable that Jesus is saying God would say of a person, your soul is now required. Think of it this way, if you would. Those who reside in hell from this moment throughout eternity will be continuing to make payment on their debt. And yet, eternity won't be long enough to pay it off. Because only the shed blood of Jesus can satisfy the debt that every human being owes. Think on that for a minute. Think on that. Those in hell right now are paying payments with their own soul, and the payments are less than the interest. And the principal will never be touched. You know why? Because only one could. And, and here's the tragedy of it all. You ready? He already has. And he paid for the sins, the Scripture says, of the whole wide world. 
And then that's the wonderful part of grace that I don't have to have an all me kind of faith and trust me to make a way because I can't make a way, but Jesus has made a way. And if I will surrender my life to him with an all in kind of faith that says, here's my life because of who you are and what you've done for me. Here's my life. Take it. Here's my resources. Take. Guide me and show me and direct me for your glory. By the way, that ought to be the focus of your life, the glory of God, that God would be glorified in everything that he's given you from salvation to a roof over your head and the vehicle that you drive. I shared with a couple this morning. They said they were introducing themselves to me after service, and they were showing with me uh, the people that came with them. And there's another lady talking about all the people that came with them. And they said, we just, we just pick up whoever wants to come to church. And it, I'm telling you, I, it, it blessed my heart. I smiled so big, I think I broke my smiler. And I, I was smiling so big. Here's why. Because I'm the product of a backseat ministry. And, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. But a huge impact on that was because somebody said, I've got a back seat. I've got two kids in the two seats. But one in the middle of that 85 uh, Buick Skylark, we could probably fit you in there if you want to come to church with us. So I want you to think about that for a minute. An all-in kind of faith says, whatever I have is yours. If all I have is a back seat, because some of you are saying, well, I don't have this big corn, and I don't have this big crop, and I don't have this big barn, and I don't have this big land, and I don't have this big. But you may just simply have an open back seat. And there may be a young man or a young woman, a young person in your neighborhood, someone lives next door to you, one of your friend's friend that just needs somebody to invest in their life and to say, you know what, we may not have a lot, but we got an empty back seat. And if you want to go and gather with us as the church, you come on. Every time you want to go, we'll come pick you up. Can you imagine if you and I stopped saying, well, my gas is, you know, my gas, and I paid for it, and I... But we say, everything I have is yours, Lord. And so what do you want me to do with it? How do you want me to invest it? Making a difference for the glory of God. Now, let me just sort of conclude this way, all right? So all me, faith, is insufficient payment for eternal redemption. Two things I want to conclude with. Verse 20, write this in your notes. Quick statement, a payday's coming. There is a payday coming. And all me, faith, is insufficient payment, all right? <clears throat> Number two is in verse 21, and that is, whatever it is that you gather and work so hard to have will be left behind. You realize, you've heard this statement, you can't, Take it with you. You can work and store, and you and I can do that and focus all of our energy and effort on the things that this world has to offer and miss building the kingdom by sharing our faith and discipling and investing our resources of time, talent, and treasure for the mission of God, seeking and saving that which was lost. And if we do, listen, if we do at the end of our journey, at the end of our journey, what everything we've amassed and stored will be left behind. Somebody said, well, good, good. I want my children to have plenty. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you what's been my experience of watching families go through that. And I'm, I'm always amazed at how many people say, yeah, but not my family. And they're gone. They don't get to see it. But I get to see it when two brothers I thought would, would always be best friends don't speak to each other. Because one person got this part of the land. They really wanted the front part of the land, and they got the back part of the land. And I, and I think to myself oftentimes, their daddy would absolutely crush his heart if he knew he'd worked that hard to save that and for those boys to not even be talking. They don't talk. They don't text. They don't call. They don't visit. They're done with each other, at least at this point in life. And last time I talked with one of them, it's still that way. Ten years later. So Jesus says in conclusion, verse 21, so is he, ready? L let me go back. Verse 20 says, but he said to him, fool this night, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? They're going to stay here. You're going to go away, and they're going to stay here. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Do you see what verse 21 talks about? 
it's a contrast of two different kinds of faith. One's rich toward God. We talked about this morning. Abraham was rich toward God. Why? He had an all-in faith. Nothing was out of bounds. Everything he had was, was, was under the authority of God Almighty. This man was rich in the world. He had an all-me faith. One faith, all-in faith, was blessed by God. One, one faith, all-me faith, is condemned by God. Let's pray together. Would you bow your head with me for just a minute? I know you guys look so startled when I close. I'm surprised, too, that we're out of time, and I really would like to just keep going. But tonight, I want us to focus on what it is that we've heard, okay? Now, be still just a second. And, and matter of fact, I know you, you, you're sitting in, you kind of set your Bible to the side, but I want you to look at me for just a minute, okay? And I, I want you to sort of look up at me, and I want you to think about comparing the two sides of the coin. Now, this morning, wasn't it a blessing to hear about a man who had the kind of faith to say, even my son is subject to the authority of God in my eyes. Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful faith. All in, all in kind of faith. And, and because he had that all in faith, it was blessed by God. But then tonight, isn't it a stark contrast? Wouldn't you agree with me? It's like flipping the coin over to the opposite. And we have one who has an all me faith. And in fact, instead of being blessed by God, it's condemned by God. I want you to think about that, okay, as you bow your head with me. Just bow your head and ask yourself the question, what kind of faith are you living? What's the testimony of your life? Now, it's not about what anybody else would say, but I'm, just, I'm asking you right now to ask the Holy Spirit of God, just you and the Holy Spirit right there in your seat. And you'd have a conversation. Isn't it wonderful that we can talk to God right now? And you could say something like this to him, Lord, what kind of faith am I living? When I look at where I spend my resources of time, talent, and treasure, who am I spending them on? My desires are yours. Lord, if there's something tonight that needs to be corrected, maybe you'd pray something like this. Lord, would you correct it? Would you adjust some things in my heart? Wouldn't that be a great prayer to pray tonight? You might even add this word. Are you ready? Lord, please adjust my heart. I don't want to live the kind of faith in myself that's condemned by you. But God, I really want to live a life that's, that's all in. It says, here's my life. Here's everything that is my life. Everything that is who I am. And Jesus, it's under your authority. I surrender. That song we used to sing, I surrender all. That it would be the heartfelt cry of God's people. God, I surrender all. Everything I have is yours. Maybe you're here tonight, you've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. There's good news, it's not too late. If the Holy Spirit of God is drawing, tonight my question would be, would you come to Jesus his invitation is simply to come. Somebody in here just needs to come and place your hope and trust and faith and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing in your heart that Jesus, the Son of God, died for you and rose from the dead. And based on that great truth, the good news, you'd invite him to be Lord of your life, being number one over all things. He'll save you, give you purpose, clean you up. Listen to this. Forgive your sin and increase your faith. Father, tonight I pray you take this time of response. I want to say the altar's open. You come as you feel led. Take this time of response, God. And would you adjust some things in my own heart, God? Lord, I confess to you that there are too many days in my life I live a condemnable faith. Help me, Lord, to live a faith that's all in, every area of my life, fully surrendered. And Lord, may the purpose be, may the motivation be in all of our heart that you would receive glory. 
But at the end of our race, what would be said of us is, man, they glorified God with everything they had. May the goal of our life not be to have more, but to be more, to be more like Jesus so that you would, in fact, receive the glory. God, we love you tonight, and we pray that you would move. In this time of response, Lord, adjust, move, call. Cause us to respond by faith. We ask it in the wonderful and matchless name of Jesus, and all the people of God said, amen. Will you stand with me and let's lift our voices. You respond as the Spirit leads you.